podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at CypherCast.net. And follow us on Twitter at CypherCast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing, My Path Takes Me Strange Places, when we talk about creatures you can encounter under the indigo sun. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast My Path Takes Me Strange Places, we discuss the setting of Invisible Sun. We're going to be talking about the creatures of the indigo sun this time. So, you're all familiar with this little format. We're going to talk about what indigo represents first, just as a little reminder. Uh, And we like to keep indigo nice and short. Indigo is truth. And that's probably all we need to touch on. So, um, we talked a bit about locations... Uh, last time, though this might be uh, episode 101, uh, as long as things go according to plan. And I'm going to make sure that uh, if things don't go according to plan, th- this is going to make no sense. <laughs> uh, which which is only fitting for Invisible Sun. Um, the, the short version is we're hoping to do something in particular for episode 100. If that falls through, this becomes episode 100. And if it didn't fall through, then you already know. <laughs> So, yeah, let's talk about uh, creatures under the the indigo sun. Um, So indigo is truth. Indigo is the center of the actuality, right? Or is it the invisible sun? I don't recall. Whatever. Um, So a lot of these There is a geographic center. Yeah, there's not so much a geographic center. It's more a philosophical center. And I could have sworn that indigo was that philosophical center. Um, spiritual center like the invisible sun is the the magical center because Mm. that's where all magic comes from but the truth the actuality seems to be best represented by indigo it is certainly the location for most of the activity in the actuality yeah it seems to be everybody like my my players keep coming back to indigo they they take expeditions out to the other suns but ultimately they return to the indigo sun to hang out on top of one of their houses and roast marshmallows over a fire. So (laughs) what this is natural with it being the the most thoroughly described in the setting material. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think also the given the theme of the game, truth does seem to have a central uh, part. So having these indigo sun be the sun of truth naturally predisposes the, the the sun to be a center point for many of the stories. So if you have a, a lot of stuff going on on Indigo, then there's a whole there are a ton of creatures that you can pull from uh, out of Teratology. And we've grabbed a couple that we want to just, you know, talk a little bit about just so that we get a sense of what are creatures like under the sun and how do they represent the sun that they're, you know, found under most often. Uh, and whenever I'm reading through stuff for Indigo, I always, 
I'm always thinking that I'm reading information about the city of Saturn for the most part. Like there is other stuff under the indigo sun. Uh, but the main focus for me has usually been what's in Saturn. So I guess with that, um, let's talk about, um, this isn't so much a creature. Uh, have you, have you looked up the diaprin? Yes, this uh, caught my eye because it did it did stand out as unusual uh, compared to the other creatures we have talked about uh, in teratology and before. It's it's unclear whether it's an NPC or a class of NPCs. It seems to be more a class of NPCs. I, I don't know if it's a class because the description here. All right, so the diaprin is a young man currently the journeyman rank in the Order of the Vance, striving to advance, lives in a flop house near the Vancean campus in Fartown. The uh, the first descriptor here, a young man, makes me think this is an NPC, but it's not a major entity, which is why it's in this first section, which is what we usually focus on, uh, the simple creatures and entities rather than major entities. So I think this might just be a young Vance who's currently in school. I agree. Uh, I think it can be used as a model for developing similar NPCs that are a little bit different. You might change the name. So it's not Diaprin, it's Diaprin's yeah. roommate um, and whatever that name would be. Uh, but it gives you a sense of what kind of abilities should you associate with a level two antagonist who's a journeyman Vance, uh, that, uh, a common sort of NPC you might see running around Fartown. Uh, do you know off the top of your head if the journeyman Vance is someone who hasn't achieved the first order yet? Oh, uh, I don't recall whether it's kind of zero with or first order. I think it's first order, but it might be before you are first order. Well, I will know in just a second. Don't mind my <laughs> typing. Um, so all members of the four orders begin their careers at a special level called the journeyman degree. Or the apprentice degree, so the the terms are interchangeable. So this is this is somebody who's in the order who hasn't achieved any degree yet. Old so, zeroth level classes from from classic D anD D. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I liked. I wanted to touch on this one because this is the first example that I think I had seen of like here's a Vizlay who's you know here's an NPC Vizlay that you can just sort of take. And it gives you some ideas for, you know, what kind of magic can they wield and what does that look like? Um, they're like, this is a level two NPC like you had described. Uh, their stat block for injuries, wounds, and anguish is very familiar. It's the same as a player character's. Um, their defenses and their modifications are not significant. Uh, but then it's got a bunch of spells that you can use uh, to sort of fill out the abilities of this creature. And I think that's a good jumping off point if you were to introduce, let's say, you know, a journeyman maker. Like, what would that look like? Well, here's here's a pretty good example of, you know, what their capabilities would be. They're not significant. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's a good reminder of how the system's all based on levels anyway. So they... Well, the, the description includes uh, three spells that Diaprin may know um, and what those spells do, but it's just one sentence each. Like, and, and, uh, you, you could almost ignore the sentence. It's just like uh, Diaprin can create light. 
Diacrin yep. can put people to sleep. But uh, And so that sounds very powerful, but remember, this is a level two creature, which means opposing uh, this, the efforts of, of Diaprint's only going to be a level two challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, take a look at that one. That's uh, That one stood out to me as being very different than any other entity that I had seen before. Um, anyway, so the next one I wanted to look at was the, uh, the Eloquent Loris. And this is, I think, the first one that I was reading through that really struck me as a good representation of what the indigo sun is. So this is a magically created species. Uh, it's described as furred and large, eye, uh, large eyed and slow moving. So it, <clears throat> it makes me think of like a lemur it crossed with a sloth. Well, there um, is a creature called a slow loris. Oh, really? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, cool. Uh, then uh, good job, MCG. Um, yeah, so this this creature will hang out under, you know, well, it'll perch on people's shoulders or hide under their cloaks. And the really important, the really interesting thing about this is it knows just what to say. And it will whisper in the ear of a perplexed speaker, but only as long as you're giving it treats. So here's a creature that represents truth in a certain point of view like this could be a good source of information like oh we need to figure out uh how to talk to um we need to figure out how to talk to this person in order to get them to open up and because they have information that we're looking for and the best way might be to find an eloquent loris and give it treats so that it will i guess Cyrano de bergerac with you and tell you exactly what you need to do to or what you need to say in order to get somebody to open up uh, or it could be whispering, you know, instead of just helpful social cues, it could be whispering uh, bits of information and actual truth to you. Uh, so this 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 felt like a really interesting creature that makes total sense under the indigo sun to me. Yeah, and you could uh, Google slow Loris to get a sense of what it looks like in our world uh, and then use that as a basis. It's certainly it's a small primate. It's kind of like a lemur. Mm-hmm. And so fitting on a shoulder actually works very well. Uh, but one of the most fun elements of the slow Loris that is not mentioned here that you could have for some sort of advanced um, or more threatening eloquent Loris is that the slow Loris on our earth, this actually exists, is the only known venomous primate. <laughs> Let that oh, sink yeah. in for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about that one. Sorry, I was actually coughing off mic, so... <laughs> yeah. So in in the uh, uh, not in the actuality, but in the gray that we are experiencing, there are slow lorises as opposed to eloquent lorises, and they are venomous primates who can actually poison you. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's with a bite, but I'm not positive. Uh, uh, what if they poisoned you with uh, lies? Well, that would make a lot of sense in Invisible Sun. But I'd say you you can play with the, the venom component. Um, and, uh, and by and have that a, a modified version of the eloquent loris. Oh, oh, here it is. The the uh, venom, gl- the, the secreting toxin, the gland that secretes toxins uh, for the slow loris is in the crook of their inner arms. So that's huh. even more kind of strange and something you can play with for uh, modifying the eloquent loris if you want it to have more of a, a bite to it. Well, when my characters go and visit the gray, I think I'm definitely going to be dropping in a slow loris. As sort of the antithesis to the eloquent Loris. <laughs> you could have a, a, a slow Loris, eloquent Loris gang war. 
Uh, yeah, that might be Gonzo enough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's on the border. Um, so the the next one I want to look at is the uh, hmm, the Exe. Sounds how would you good pronounce to me. that? E X S E. Yeah, I think it's about how I'd pronounce it. You should try it. Exe. Uh, you just said exactly what I said. So yes, all right. that's what I say. It's about what I would say. <laughs> so this is a, <clears throat> I guess how I would describe it is a super super awkward half human half tree. Uh, in an ill-fitted suit and uh, this one's interesting so this one this one plays with the truth in in a different way Uh, so when I was looking at this you know we have that eloquent Loris which is all about revealing you know important information and relevant information uh, to whoever it's talking to Uh, and the Exe is this creature that doesn't like to be stared at, um, also known as scoptophobia. Um, so it doesn't like being stared at and it will obscure itself and cause, I guess, people who are staring at it to sew their eyes shut. Um, so this thing doesn't like to be noticed or seen, or, uh, I guess it's Buster from Arrested Development. Yeah. And this has a a new element in the, um, stat block, which I think, I'm not sure we've talked about before. Uh, it may require a little explanation. The uh, in, So it says it, it cannot be perceived, but again, it's a level four creature. So it means it can be perceived, but only with a le- overcoming its natural resistance of level four. If you fail that, it has an indication that the effect of oversight is one rest, which means if you fail to see it, you will not see it until you have until you have a chance to roll again after one rest. Mm-hmm. Is that how you interpret that? Uh, I guess I was looking that, at that as just an ability it had. So if it wanted you to overlook it, then it, this would be its action for its turn. But I could see that as being just a natural defense that always is in effect. And the level of the creature gives you a sense of how difficult it is. Yep. to see and this, and this is common in the descriptions in all of the the monster descriptions or, or antagonist descriptions is they'll do, because the game is entirely level based it'll just say um, cannot see or will blind creatures or something along those lines and it doesn't mean it always blinds you it means that in order to resist this effect you have to resist its level yeah uh, level four it's just so insignificant at this point for my group yeah. Well, and, and you may use these as a basis to create sort of a greater exe or the exe matriarch or something along those lines, which will have a higher level and some additional abilities. Uh, but I really do. I like the the narrative uh, uh, component that if you do see it, um, or I guess you don't even have to see it necessarily, its attack is to uh, cause damage and one of your eyes is sewn, uh, sews itself closed again until you have a rest. Uh, yeah, this would be a fun creature for my group because I have had two players have bad things happen to their eyes now at this point. <laughs> they're, I think they're getting kind of sick of like one person has a bug for an eye now and the other one uh, almost had an eye removed in when they were visiting the dark. So it's a theme. Yeah, and sewing shut the eyelids with the bug inside would have its own complications. Uh, that would be fun. um so this next creature that i wanted to talk about the uh far cure that works for me 
Are you sure? I mean, it's got an E following a C. Would that make it sound like an S? Um, I have heard names that have C-E-U-R and pronounced Coor. Otherwise, it could be Farseer. Could be that. But this thing is like a nine foot tall creature that looks like a praying mantis. And I'm, I wish I had read about this guy sooner because he would fit for my group because my group loves bad jokes and puns. Uh, they like making them. Uh, they like being miserable because of them. Uh, but that's what this thing does. It distracts its prey with bad jokes and puns, and it will then eat whatever it is distracting. Uh, so you're going to find these out in the abstraction. Uh, and the, the really fun part about these is you can, I guess, appeal to their uh, appeal to them with your own jokes and puns. And if you impress it, then it'll let you go. Yeah, this is a, a level five creature. Uh, it can take a lot of damage. Sure can. Uh, but what stands out to me most besides the theme is it has a plus 10 to jumping, which means it's level 15 for purposes of jumping. Yes, uh, and I guess that makes sense if it lives on the uh, islands or the half-worlds out in the abstraction. Right, that's five levels past the maximum natural capacity for anything to jump. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So not only can it magically jump, it can really magically jump. That's, uh, have we seen anything at level 15? (laughs) Uh, Not in the minor entities, I don't think so. Okay. Maybe in some major entities, but so th- th- this is kind of a major entity ability, but just the jumping major yeah, the jumping entity part. level. Uh, yeah. So I mean, th- this thing's pretty cool. I like it. Uh, Troy would love it because he he always tries to fit really bad puns in, no matter what we're doing, and it sucks. So I guess he'd like this one. <laughs> so enough about the. Enough about the puns. Um, the, the next one I've got is the Mern. And I liked the Mern because uh, this this calls back to uh, the story of creation from the Bible. This is a, it is a four foot long centipede that guards a tree that bears fruit of pure truth. And I mean, if you don't notice the parallels that I'm seeing here, like, well, I guess you didn't get raised Catholic like I did. <laughs> But this thing, I guess it's not quite like the serpent because this thing is guarding the tree of knowledge. Um, and the thing that I really like about this is it has this ability called invert truth. And what that does is it causes a close being to believe one truth that they've always accepted is actually a lie. And one lie is actually the truth. And that can only get cured by magic. So it's a bit more significant than just an ability that lasts for a certain amount of time. Like they have to get out and actually, you know, find a way to cure this if they even realize what's happening. So again, this is a level four creature. So overcoming that magical ability is, is not particularly challenging. Overcoming it is not challenging, but it would be easy to inflict it on somebody just by giving them a GM shift. Yes. And then uh, even if it's uh, if it's easy to overcome, you still have that space in between while they're investigating that something has to be overcome mm-hmm. and how to overcome it. And and I think that's just the right duration for this to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, so 
I'm not I'm not sure how I'd go about doing this. Like if I introduce this creature into the game, I think how I usually do things these days is I ask the player, what do you think would be interesting uh, to have happen here? Like what is the truth that you think would be fun to have turned into a lie for your character? I, I would do the same thing. I would ask a, the particular character what they think would be interesting, maybe throw out some ideas. Yep. But give them some options as to what to do. Because, I mean, the, the danger in that in most games is that they choose something trivial that is no, won't be relevant at all. Mm-hmm. So they can kind of moot the effect. But if they're trying to do that, they're playing a different game anyway. <laughs> uh, so like they could do something that doesn't matter. Like um, I like the truth that I always accepted is uh, nuts and chocolate are perfect together. And now I think it's a lie. Like that doesn't matter. Right. Uh, the truth is I wore brown shoes yesterday, which I don't which I now think is a lie. But who cares? <laughs> um, it, it, you know, you, you could moot out the effect that way. But if players are doing that rather than engaging in the story and letting things happen that are interesting uh, to uh, to play through, then there's a lot of other points where this game's already failed. Ooh, how about, um, here would be a fun truth. Uh, if you were going to a fancy ball that evening and all of a sudden you believed that uh, brown shoes and black slacks looked good together. <laughs> oh, there's certainly ways that fashion or choice, you know, choices of how you dress could be relevant, but you could also choose ones that could be irrelevant if you're trying to avoid the uh, consequences here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Mern, he's fun. Um, and the, the last one that I, that I picked out here that I thought was really neat was the null and null is similar to the Exe uh, in that it plays with the truth. Um, but the null only exists if it's not being perceived. So I guess this is, this is kind of like the, uh, what the weeping angels from Dr. Who, like when you're, when you're looking at them, when you're perceiving them, they're statues. And when you're not paying attention to them, and they're, you know, and they're doing stuff. Yeah, that's uh, it. Uh, there's a, a few creatures that are like this, and this, and other suns that I think mm-hmm. it would be challenging but rewarding to play with. And that was where why I wanted to pick it out because how do you deal with something that doesn't exist if you notice it? Something I've played with in other games is when I'm trying to give a sense of of unreality, um, of the precariousness of reality, is describing things that don't exist on further inspection. Like, you see this thing out of the corner of your eye. Oh, I look at it. Oh, it's not there. And doing that to undermine the reliability of the narrative itself, which is a little dangerous. I, I have to do this with just the right players Mm -hmm. so they understand kind of what's going on and how it creates that cognitive dissonance that deliberately to undermine the sense of firm reality uh but for uh, some other players it is just kind of unfair that it's it's it is uh you know either poor gming or it is an unfair gm technique designed to mislead them so they'll make a mistake or something yeah but 
but for those who are in, interested in this type of play, they kind of like, like oh, okay, I, I get it now. I My character thinks they saw something, and then it's not really there, and that's confusing and unsettling, <laughs> but that's exactly the experience we're trying to create. So yay, more of that. <laughs> yeah, I always look at creatures like this as sort of a puzzle that the players solve by being creative. Like, there isn't really a solution to how you deal with this. You just let the players sort of brainstorm and throw things out there. And then when they settle on like, oh, we think this might work, like this would be really cool, then there's your solution. Uh, and they missed an opportunity maybe because it's too much like another joke in a, in one of the other books. Oh. But they could have had a greater null that had no description. <laughs> oh, oh. Oh man, that would have been so good. <laughs> <laughs> or even better, a a null comma greater and then a big gap. Yep. And a gap the size of a picture. Uh we <laughs> we should probably bring that up with them if we run into them <laughs> at Gen Con. Uh so are there any other uh creatures, minor entities that you want to touch on before we talk about something else? Well, we we did save some creatures for a different discussion. There's an entire Ooh, section true. of of uh, cyst was it uh, cyst, of spawn. cyst spawn, and these are really interesting uh, creatures. They are uh, they they're distinctive and clearly intended to be combat uh, antagonists, yep. as opposed to some of the creatures we talked about today, which are very interactive. And I th we, we thought it might be better to hold those for a, dis a later discussion of just cysts in general and these creatures and cyst encounters and all of that, because the indigo creature section is very, very long. <laughs> so we had to break it up somehow. And that seemed like a natural way to break up a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll touch on the cyst spawn when we go back and uh, actually have a big discussion about uh, the ruined expanses. And that may even warrant more than one uh, casting. We'll see. We shall see. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from Drive-Thru RPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us. <laughs>